Welcome back to the Power Hour radio show, ladies and gentlemen. Eight minutes past the hour, no matter where you are on planet Earth. My name is J.D. Moore. I'm being joined, as usual, by the beautiful Joyce Riley. Oh, I love it. We are super <laughs> excited today, super excited to welcome Mr. Alan Watt to the show. Now, Alan Watt, if you don't know, is a longtime researcher uh, looking into the causative forces behind the major changes in the historical development of our planet. Uh, we are really looking forward to talking to him today about this history of the global management system that we find ourselves just knee-deep in at this point. Um, and talk a little bit also about the, the dehumanizing and the transhuman movement. Uh, Alan Watt has got a couple of websites, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and also alanwattsentinel.eu where you can find literally hundreds of hours and talks that he has done. Um, we are so, as I said, just super excited to have you join us today. Thanks for being here, Mr. Watt. It's a pleasure, yeah. Uh, Mr. Watt, we spoke a yep. little bit yesterday on the phone. Uh, I kind of got a little uh, giddy because I was so excited about talking to you, but we had talked a little bit about the history of the global management system. And I want to, before we get into that too deeply, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your background, how you got interested in uh, this global management system, and uh, what your nexus is to I want to know what this. is the global management system mm -hmm. also. Mm-hmm. I think we can start with the latter part. The, the global management system is everything in your reality, in your culture, uh, what you understand, what life is, what it's about, what your purpose in life is. It's managed uh, from, from birth onwards, basically, because your parents were given their scientific indoctrination through schooling and so on. They pass it on to you, and uh, then you get your turn at school, too, to bring in a scientific control, the scientific, that's the whole key to things, uh, which began in the late 1800s with the big cabals that formed with the money men at that time uh, during the big industrial eras, of course. And uh, they decided that uh, rather than have culture uh, just develop by itself, they would take charge of all facets of it and all your reality too, uh, train a society to work for you, uh, to be patriotic, to fight the wars that you have planned, because wars are always planned, like massive takeovers basically in business. And uh, and uh, most folk is so perfect today, in fact, so, so tremendously perfected that the public have no idea that their opinions are given to them very scientifically by arguments on television and so on, by experts and so on. And they adopt uh, one of the two. They're always given two choices to, to accept, which lead to the same path, anyway, the same conclusions. So your conclusions are basically formed for you. Um, in the early 1900s, the, these big, same big organizations, these private organizations, uh, uh, were kind of behind the scenes to an extent because there was some free media back in those days, but they were taking it over even then. And we find in the early 1900s, for instance, uh, as the, 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 the British branch based in the U.S., which was the Rockefellers, uh, they were set up, the Rockefellers were set up. You don't just be become awfully rich and become a top mogul uh, out-competing all the rest by being clever and thrifty. It takes a massive organization behind uh, that to make you the made man, as they say, and, uh, and to open the doors and to make sure that they put you in at the top and you then have a say in politics and the social life of the people, the economic life completely, of course, and also the direction of all the schooling. And that's why you dish out all the grants to universities and schools and so on. You can then set the curriculum, which they have done. 
So you're dealing with a planned society. And some of their top spokespeople uh, wrote about this in the early 1900s and all through the 20th century and is still ongoing today through the Brzezinski's and Kissinger's, etc. But the, the organization that was based in Britain had many names before it became uh, the Lord Alfred Milner Group uh, and uh, top uh, financial moguls based in the city of London, of course. Uh, they ran the, what was called the British Empire not the public or and so on. They ran it themselves as private organization of moguls. They used the British Empire for financial gain and to get power over other countries and even shape the, the destinies of these countries they, they took over and give them a particular culture as well. Uh, the, the, it was so, it was so um, pervasive, in fact, all pervasive, that Winston Churchill, who was kind of out of the loop at one point, made a speech in Parliament when he realized these guys were behind the manipulations and the creation of World War One and then World War Two. He spoke about it in Parliament. Uh, at that time, it was so secretive, they didn't have an official name outside of the membership. It eventually became called the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It was given a royal charter to exist, and uh, but had been already on the go since the 1800s. Uh, they were behind the Boer War. Uh, their official historian wrote about this. That was Professor Carl Quigley of the U.S., uh, they created the Boer War, and at the same time they were creating the Boer War, uh, they were also to take over Africa and the resources and the diamonds, the gold, and so on. Um, they were also working on uh, uh, create the creation of a Pacific uh, Rim region, which we now have today. This is this is well over a hundred years ago. And at the same time, they were, they were talking about creating a, a unified Europe eventually, and world wars were necessary to make it happen. So um, it's well documented by those on the inside. And Professor Carl Quigley, as I say, was a, their own per, uh, personal historian because they have their own version of history since they've been behind so much of it. That's why he wrote his books, uh, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American Establishment, where he documents this from their own archives. He thought that their, 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 their shaping of history was so important it was time that they became open about it and in fact, he said they should really institutionalize it in education because the goal of this group was eventually to use what they called democracy to get the public to work willingly towards this goal and then eventually bring in the authoritarian society where you'd all have your functions from birth, basically. They used the Soviet Union as an experiment to see how it would work, but they knew it would, they'd have to update that system and create a, a more perfected uh, global Soviet system. That's what we're going into today with the austerity, with uh, the non-governmental organizations, all run and funded by the same organization, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, or Council on Foreign Relations, as it's known in the U.S. That's, that's a branch they have there. Uh, all the top moguls in the U.S. are, are involved in this. They're in politics. They have hundreds and hundreds of uh, members in politics across the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, and many other countries, Germany today as well. So we're run by private, a private group with well over a thousand well-funded non-governmental organizations which lobby government constantly for, for changes towards the, the ecological society that they'll manage, of course, privately. Alan? 
Alan, yeah. let me ask you a question. What is the purpose? And, John, if you could boost his volume up a little bit. I know the listeners are having trouble hearing him. Um, let me ask you, uh, and, Alan, if you could speak a little bit louder, it would be real helpful. Uh, what is the purpose of all those non-government organizations? If you were to talk about or give an example of here's the purpose of these organizations and the real agenda behind them, what is it? The, the purpose really is a, a planned society, uh, scientifically designed by an intelligentsia, uh, rather than allow the public to to, 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 to go along willy-nilly, an amorphous thing that would develop by itself, grassroots, you might say. Uh, they want a planned uh, global society, standardized. Remember when the Rockefellers came out, the first old man Rockefeller, he created standard oil by putting all the competitors out of business, with gangster tactics, in fact, to standardize the prices, to standardize... Um, uh, uh, who ran the whole system, which was the Rockefellers. And, um, but they also wanted to standardize culture, the world, education, so as everyone would think the same, believe the same things, and work willingly uh, with their own part in this great project, the great work, they call it. And, um, and that's what we're living through today, with the, with the educational system being standardized, not just in the U.S. and Britain, it's across the whole world today. A global society run by a private organization, which eventually would have the, an end to war by creating wars and taking over countries, standardizing all the, all the conflicts until we well, the same culture worldwide eventually. That's the goal, but always run by this private, very rich intelligentsia. Who, who believe it's their natural place to run the thing, since they are the intelligentsia, and those beneath them are more primitive, you might call it that way. You know. So, Alan, then can we then assume that all of the infighting that we see, you know, uh, as we're moving towards this agenda, is also part of the agenda itself? Like, the, you know, this Ukrainian conflict between Russia and the U.S., it seems to me like we're obviously all working for the same global elite. So yeah. why why do we see the... The turmoil, and why are they making such a big deal about the turmoil on the mainstream media and things like that? Well, part of the, the, the conflict that you see is simply members in Russia uh, of the same organization, under different names, of course, wanting their, their, what they claim is their share of the power and financial power and, and, and wealth and so on for themselves, not for the people. And, uh, and it's also to give the public the, 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 the belief uh, that uh, we really need big governments to manage all the scary things in the world. Uh, without, uh, without scary things happening, you, you, you resent government taxing you so much for, for military spending and that kind of thing. But with uh, the appearance of conflict and possible conflict to come, uh, we, kept, we tend to keep quiet. In fact, I remember a few years ago, the member of the Green Party in Britain, the woman who was running it at the time, she said that... Uh, what we need is a war-type situation, a war mentality, where people obey government, like World War II in Britain, uh, and the government t can take more rights away from the public, get things done without different uh, sides conflicting with each other and arguing, and uh, they're more obedient, the public are more passive and obedient as authority is, is, is uh, increased over them and how they live and what they eat and so on. And that's really the, the basic uh, system we're going through today. Okay, we'll be back. We've got a four-minute break. We'll be back with Alan Watts. Stay tuned to the Power Hour. This is George Riley. And Jenny Moore.
Welcome back to the Power Hour radio show, ladies and gentlemen. It is 24 minutes past the hour. We are joined today by Mr. Alan Watt, and before the break, we were speaking about the history of the global management system. And Alan, I guess the question that I have for you is that if you were to be approached at the grocery store by somebody who just said, I understand there's an agenda and that it's been in full effect for a very long time, uh, what what does that agenda actually look like? What are the strong bullet points of the global elite agenda, and how far along on that plan do you think we are? We're well along the, the plan, but uh, I wouldn't talk in a grocery store about the agenda because there's too much to teach a person. People ask simple questions. They think it's simple. They expect uh, very fast, little, short answers. And without the education in it, you cannot possibly give them a correct answer or the true answer. It doesn't simply do. Um, you've got such a long history of this, just the, just the American side of it, too, the U.S. side of it. It's phenomenal. There's so many books out there by the insiders themselves, all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, on their parts in it, especially their memoirs, which no one reads anymore and because they're dull and they're boring. But you get the occasional chapter or paragraph even where they let a lot out the bag in their part of creating the, the reality of the system. The Rockefellers, for instance, uh, you'll find in the 1940s um, and before the 1940s were all placed strategically into business, of course, across the U.S. Um, before that, too, they're heavily involved with the, the setting up behind the scenes or the organization they belong to, in fact, to do with the setting up of the Federal Reserve, central banking system that was imperative, and to bring in this global system of the same privately owned central banks, owned basically by the same uh, quiet shareholders across the world. That's where the IMF is. This organization set up the IMF, by the way. It's a private organization that, which they set up and run. They set up the World Bank to bring in a global a standardized uh, system of currency eventually and trading and and um, they own the, the Bank for International Settlements as well in Switzerland, Basel, Switzerland. So uh, this was done back in the 1920s to bring in this global structured system and society. They wanted uh, three trading blocks in the world, one a united Europe, but they, they said in their earlier writings they would need a world war to make it happen. Uh, they got that, of course, and uh, they got the Second World War II and really went to town. After World War II, they came out quite openly saying the United Nations, which they set up and run, would, would be a, a, the embryo for a world government, basically. That didn't go down too well, especially in the States. And so they went quiet again and worked quietly to still create the same system, but do it quietly until it would rise to power around the, the 1980s and 90s with lots of smaller wars, which they had to do to standardize the world, especially parts of Europe. So we had the Bosnian wars and so on uh, ongoing. Uh, and that's really that's when the UN and its NATO arm came to the fore. So you're, you're seeing the standardization process continue uh, where the world would be run properly, as they say, in their own books, like Bertrand Russell, a big member of this group. Um, he was also authorized to work with the Macy Group in the U.S. by President Truman after World War II. He was authorized to work with the Frankfurt School uh, to bring a brand new culture into the U.S., which would lead the world and would all emulate this new American culture. And um, it's been awfully successful as well. The public don't know uh, that everything that Karl Marx even stood for, the destruction of the family unit, uh, promiscuity would take place of having children and, and having bonding with a partner for life. 
Uh, these were all desi designed back in the 1940s, written about heavily by those involved in the world meetings, who had the power to go back home and implement them through the schooling systems, through the, through the entertainment system, big, big part of it, entertainment. And, uh, and here we are today. So much of it has been achieved, uh, not just locally or, or nationally, but uh, globally, in fact. So back in the 1960s, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, they had a meeting in, in uh, Britain, in London, and reaffirmed that the U.S. had been, had chosen the U.S., to create the, the world culture which all the youth would follow to change society completely from the old system, uh, the, uh, the old ways and the old traditions. Uh, that's all been accomplished today, in fact. Uh, government agencies would start off as services, become agencies, then become authorities over the public, and they would decide on the rearing of children uh, and so on. That's all been done today. It's been done the last 50 years, in fact. The public don't really know what's happening because uh, there's never, they're never told uh, forthrightly what is happening, why it's happening. They're simply given the effects of things. Oh, we need a new agency because we have more uh, um, pregnancies, teenage pregnancies. Well, that was all talked about as, as far back as uh, 1930s by Bertrand Russell who was a big member. Wow. Okay, Mr. Watt, we've got to go take a quick three-minute break. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, I'm going to ask him about the creation of culture and how this culture creation agenda is playing out. Keep it right here, three minutes, Power Hour Radio Show. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. And we're joined today by Mr. Alan Watt. If you... Get an opportunity, I would certainly recommend checking out his website, which is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. He's been nice enough to put a video out uh, recently called Reality Check. It's about an hour and a half long, and it's super-duper insightful. I would very highly recommend uh, everybody go to that site and check out uh, anything else that Alan has done recently. Um, before the break, Alan, we were kind of speaking again about this global management system, uh, and we had talked a little bit about uh, what the agenda might look like uh, in the long term. But I guess the question that I'm really dying to get to is what is it going to look like when they have accomplished their goal? How do these elite people know when they're finished? It's not so much a, a matter of finishing with them. They have stages to implement their plan. Uh, they can't do anything too quickly because there'd be too much reaction, even from those who don't know why things are happening. Uh, we don't like change. The public don't like change, so you have to prepare them for change all the time. Uh, that's why before any major event that happens in the world, where new laws come in and so on, they always give you lots of movies and, and dramas and so on. Even in the sitcoms, they'll introduce these buzzwords and terms, preparing you uh, for the actual event itself, and, and it works awfully well. It's called predictive programming, and it was worked out a long time ago in London, England, at the Tavistock Institute. So it works terribly well. Uh, it takes time to program the public. Now, they go in stages. So one stage was to bring in uh, a, a kind of merger of a Soviet system of authority in government over the public and have the public accept it. Uh, and that came out at the Rees Commission back in the 1950s uh, that was commissioned to the U.S. Congress. Uh, and Senator uh, Norman Dodd, in fact, uh, was sent out to look at the foundations owned by these big moguls that belonged to the CFR. Uh, and they wondered why these, these foundations, these charitable organizations, 
were funding awfully wealthily to the tune of billions at the time, in fact, across the world and in the States, all the far-left organizations that were normally called communist. And uh, he uh, and Dodd was told by the, the CEO of the Ford Foundation that's now run, I think, by the same institute, the Canadian Ford, run by the Rockefeller Foundation too. They're all working on the same... Uh, they're actually, they're, they're part of the same pyramid structure. And the, the CEO told them, he says, our, our goal is to merge the Soviet system, a scientifically organized organi- uh, world uh, society, uh, with the Soviet system and the American system. So we'd have a form of economic capitalist uh, investment running things expertly in the financial side, and you'd have a massive bureaucracy uh, training the children from birth into the new world global society to be good citizens, good meaning obedient to the authorities that, that, uh, that rule over them. Uh, and that's all been achieved in our lifetime. That's only one part of it. They also set up in the 1950s through the Rockefeller Brothers, the Department of Population Control. Uh, that was to start off in the U.S. They'd already been doing it, of course, with mandatory abortions of the feeble-minded and so on, and sterilization. Uh, but it was, to, it was to go further than that, uh, to bring down the population amongst the general working class people eventually. And I, it's no coincidence that so many people are going sterile in the Western world. Uh, the Rockefeller brothers, who are the main spokespeople, the leaders for the Council on Foreign Relations for the U.S., uh, also were into all aspects of, of the U.S. financial system, the war industry, they still are. And the cultural industry, they finance so many uh, propaganda movies, by the way, and also um, uh, the social services, etc. They're behind all of these things that end up shaping our lives. So that's one stage of it. The next stage, of course, is once they have uh, a a vast depopulation scheme undergo, which is on the go now, by the way. Very few folk are actually having children, haven't been for a long time in the West. They go for the financial uh, gains rather than uh, put up money for children. And uh, this is to be spread across the whole world eventually. And the reports that they have, the global reports that they had in in about 2008 for the British Department of Defense, which is also the NATO department think tank uh, for the U.S., uh, stated that by the year 2050, there'll be a vast, very quick reduction in population, even in China, and they'll start to achieve their, their world goals towards a, a fixed, uh, a properly balanced society and numbers of people who are necessary to support economy, sustain life, uh, etc., across the world. And from then on, of course, they'll go to the next step. We already know they're way ahead in the cloning business. Down the road, uh, they, they, they talk about in their futurist uh, think tanks. They talk about. Uh, Wait a minute, you said they're already ahead in the what business? Cloning business, did you say? Uh, the cloning business. Uh, the, the, these boys literally were into genetic research heavily uh, with their private uh, organizations way back in the 1920s. And before we even found supposedly the, 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 the genes and so on on the chromosomes. Uh, you find people like Rutherford in Britain, the top mathematician of his era, who st- said in his own memoirs that he was employed to work on genetics. This is the 1920s, before the, re- the rest of the world were told that even found uh, the genes and how many genes and so on were in a single strand of the, on, on, in the DNA process on the chromosome. They knew all that way back then, and therefore they've been working steadily towards longevity, 
for the proper kind of people, as they call it, and not for the general working classes. That's also why the Rockefeller brothers basically created the American Medical Association to, de- to decide and plan what uh, doctors would be taught in their training and believe in their training. And that's why also the Rockefellers have about five or six still massive pharma industries across the world, uh, heavily promoting what they decide are the right treatments, which they always profit from themselves, of course, across the world, and, and which uh, makes sure that there's no competition. Any alternative uh, medications, uh, treatments are pretty well banned. That's why we've been using radiation and, and uh, death drugs, I call them, for, for cancer for the last hundred years. These guys are the guys who are behind that with the uh, Kettering Sloan uh, Hospital in the U.S., which, again, the Rockefeller set up. So you, you, you're really into a completely managed society already. The things we take for granted, including the medical treatments, are all literally authorized by one single group at the top. Uh, all other research which uh, contradicts their findings is completely suppressed or, or, and careers are destroyed all the time. And every student in biochemistry uh, catches on very quickly as to what they want to hear, which is the authorized versions of, of things, uh, which are of tests they've already done over and over in the past. You just go along and reaffirm them, and you come up with your degrees and so on. So this is the world we, li- we live in as an authorized system. Everyone catches on quickly, no matter what department you go into or area as a student in university. You catch on very quickly as to what they want to hear and you get your little gold star in your scroll at the end of it, and you're authorized then to work in their system. Uh, your degree is your quality approval stamp, and not to rock the boat. That's what it's for. If you do rock the boat, you, you quickly lose a license, very, very quickly. That's what licensing is for, basically. So, things we take for granted... Yeah. More agenda, more agenda, moving us towards this cost-efficient society, as Obama calls it. Uh, I want to open up the phone lines because I'm sure we have lots of people out there that would like to call in and ask a quick question. So if you would like to get in line to talk to Mr. Allen, what uh, the phone is, 855-995-6923. Again, that's 855-995-6923. Um, and before we get to the phone lines, Alan, I'm interested in what, since we have all this agenda that's driving us towards this cost-efficient society, what do you think we can expect uh, in the near future? What are the signs that uh, that you've been, you know, that we've read that we can see coming down the pike? What are, what are we going to be expecting now coming down the pike? Well, back in the, the 1930s and 40s, they discussed. Um, a new system they would bring in down the road. After all, what is money? We think money is coins and paper. Uh, but really money can be anything at all. But what they decided was that money uh, really is a a form, a tangible form of energy exchange. And, of course, this came out of the old Marxist idea, too, that all uh, labor comes from energy and all, uh, all that is created comes from labor itself. So energy is behind everything. So energy exchange would be the thing of the future, a form of currency. And so the energy output that you give to society or your work, whatever it happens to be for society, um, will be given a certain value. And also so much of that energy will be taken back from you, plus the energy that you consume just to exist will be also taken off you by fees and taxations. That's what austerity really is all about. So you, 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 you're fine. Again, it's a scientific controlled society with a lot of cons involved. You must convince the public that they're behind all the problems in the world. 
they're the, the, at fault, therefore they must be uh, taxed and punished for it too. And that um, if you exist at all in society, you've a cost to society just for existing, for the air you breathe, for the CO2 you breathe out, all of these things. And of course these big organizations, these privately run organizations which run all the finances of the world and the governments of the world will also be the beneficiaries of all the taxes that they take off of you. The future spending money that you used to have, and actually the present spending money, is diminishing, and people are paying more and more money already to um, massive hikes in energy consumption for their food supplies, that's energy basically, uh, electricity, gas, uh, water, they're going after water, they're privatizing across the world into the hands of about four corporations, which probably are all the same shareholders at the top. Uh, same with the gas supplies. The global grid has been worked on today. They're laying it down across the world, where they can literally cut off a country's supply of electricity if they have to divert it to another country, the producing country like China, in cases of emergency. And also, you're being monitored for all your usage of, of all kinds of energy. Uh, eventually, it will come right down to the chip where they'll monitor how much CO2 you give off. And I'm not, I'm not kidding about this. This is where they want to go with it. And so you must convince the public that they're at fault to make sure that even the person at the bottom of awareness gets the point. We all see the weather being changed as they spray the skies and have done steadily daily since 1998. Mm -hmm. And for what purpose? Why are they spraying the skies? It, it's, it has a few purposes. They never do one thing for just one reason. Uh, weather modification was came out by from uh, it was professor or Dr. Teller. Uh, of course, he, he talked about this in the 1950s. He was the, the inventor of the H-bomb, and again, he was a Rockefeller man. Uh, he talked about spraying the skies back then uh, uh, with metallic particles, especially to make it more conductive to electrical impulse energy. Because back then, they were heavily involved in testing brain frequencies. They knew that, that what the frequencies were for the brain and all the stages of, of being awake and asleep. And they realized that they could actually alter the brain patterns of the public if they could possibly send signals. Now, Brzezinski talked about this too in his book, Between Two Ages, the Technotronic Era chapter. And he said that uh, we now have techniques, this is the 1970s, we have techniques where we can put uh, electrical energy across the world in pulsation form which could make a person, uh, make all the people very passive or angry or even depressed. And they were testing it out, of course, in different areas across the U.S. very quietly back then. Maine was one of their main states for testing it out. So all doctors' uh, uh, surgeries were monitored. Their information was, was all fed to central computers, social work departments for domestic problems, police reports, even farming reports. And they found out the different frequencies would affect even domesticated animals. Let's, uh, we need to go to the, we've got our callers here, and I want to go to the phone lines. I'll hold you over, Frank. Frank in North Carolina, you're on with Alan Watt. Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, thanks. Uh, Alan, I was wondering, I keep hearing uh, in recent years that there is this grand awakening that is uh, happening or just on the horizon, and uh, I would love for that to happen, but I don't see any 
signs of that at all in my particular area here in the uh, so-called United States. But I was wondering, for the United States and uh, maybe Canada and the U.K., uh, do you, have you seen in the past 10 years or maybe in the past five years or recent years any sign of any significant uh, grand awakening towards some type of a tipping point of awareness? What you're seeing, what we've, we've seen for a long time, is what was expected to be seen uh, by those who run the system. Uh, they did studies, they do st- the same studies, by the way, f- uh, through the universities. Uh, they do many, many questionnaire surveys, etc., with students. They've done it for the last 70 years. And they found pretty well consistently that, that uh, only 3% of the public or the students have the ability to really go into why things are happening and figure out why. Uh, mo- 97% of the public are in the dark about, they, they accept life as it's presented to them. Uh, they're updated by all their updates on television, news, etc., and education, which constantly updates itself as well. So, all right, Mr. Uh, Watt, we've got to take a, we've got to take a quick three-minute break. We will come back and uh, we'll finish that discussion. Good uh, question. Great question, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. It is 54 minutes after the hour. Uh, that was an excellent question from Frank, and he says that really, according to the Rand Corporation, only 3%, but do we really want to look to the Rand Corporation for our answers, though, is, a, is my response, unfortunately. Um, let's go to Dave in Arkansas. Dave in Arkansas, you're on the air. Go ahead, please, with Alan Watt. Oh, yes. Uh, how does the state of Israel and design this fit in with the, the globalist plans for world domination. Well, you'll, you'll find if you go into, and get, just before I, I answer that one, most people today are not so much waking up as reacting to the changes uh, without really understanding why the changes are happening. With Israel, you have to go back to the writings of the previous lieutenant governors put in place in Palestine in the 1920s and 30s by Britain. Read their memoirs like Sir Ronald Storrs. Sir Ronald, Ronald Storrs was in, in charge of it for a long time. And he talked about the reason for setting up uh, a state of Israel. And he he had all of the... Uh, it was actually lots of Jews from Russia who were coming in from the Soviet system at that time in the 30s uh, moving in. And uh, he, had, he writes about this copiously in his own memoirs. But uh, he talks about uh, the setting up of, he called it, um, a, a, a new Ulster, uh, a British Ulster system uh, set in the Middle East. Now, Ulster was set up in Britain, in, in Ireland, sorry, Northern Ireland, on behalf of the British Empire to, to, to quell the, the, the native Irish people by bringing in new people from Britain who would be their new lords, etc., for, for hundreds of years, in fact. Uh, that was behind a lot of the dissensionary up to the present times. So setting up the same thing in, in the Middle East would cause uh, lots of fractures amongst the, the populations in the Middle East uh, with this new people coming in and give reason for new wars and domination by foreign enterprises like Britain and the U.S. right up to the present day. It was a long-term strategy goal, 
which had been awfully successful. You've got to understand that when they were setting up uh, this back in the 1920s and 30s, they were looking way towards the future. They knew there was lots of oil to be extracted, and war would be the machine of not just industry, but also the war industry. You need massive oil and diesel, etc., for tanks and, and for the mobilization. That's what won World War II to an extent. So they, they were looking way ahead to all the future resources they would need to bring, keep this future system going. And uh, the U.S. Was to, was to take over officially after World War II the financing of this globalized system, uh, which has been awfully successful too. They have done that. They've supplied the men, armaments, machinery, finances, and so on, and taxation that funds it all. And uh, so, the, so Israel basically was to be a form of injecting a foreign body into another, an, like a physical body, you might say, with all the reactions it would cause by those already dwelling in those areas. That's part of it, to make sure this same global system would be on board across the Middle East eventually as well. And all the resources would be in the hands of the same private organization that set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations. All right. Thank you very much for that. Uh, thank you, Dave. Let's go to Kent in West Virginia. Kent, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, are you there, Joyce? Yes. Go ahead, please. Yeah. It's very interesting. You mentioned um, um, uh, Israel and Ulster. I lived in Ireland several decades ago, and I remember um, being amused at the time that uh, Maggie actually went down to um, uh, Israel and, you know, was lecturing them about not falling into the, uh, the path of the Britain because she was suffering the troubles, and she was saying, well, don't follow our route because, you, you know, you know what's going to happen. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, also, um, there's a, if you put in CIA-funded modern art, you'll find that all the modern art movement was funded by the CIA as just a, uh, an attempt to uh, portray the United States as, a, as an advanced, you know, a liberal society. Uh, How interesting. All right, stay right there. We've got a one-minute, ten-second break. We'll be right back. A good point, Ken. We'll be back with Alan Watt, final segment coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Power Hours. Thank you for joining us straight up top of the hour. Um, Kent, uh, that was an excellent comment that you made. Uh, Alan, do you have any uh, anything to respond? I mean, not only the artwork, but anything in our culture has been created for us, including probably yeah. the video games, even maybe, right? Oh, everything. Uh, but the, he was right with the modern art and so on. The Rockefellers, in fact, I think the wife of the old man Rockefeller, uh, was Abby, uh, she actually started up the, the modern art uh, pushing, pushing modern art to be collectible, etc. And the Guggenheim Foundation worked with them as well. But the Frankfurt School gave more exposure on why they were doing this because they were behind a lot of it. Uh, eventually, post World War II, especially, and they said they must destroy all American culture, right down to all of its morality, right down to all sexual morality too, amongst even children until even necrophilia would be accepted by the general public uh, through the entertainment industry. It's all pretty well been achieved today, unfortunately. Uh, to bring in the new culture, they'd have to destroy all of the values of the old. Then they'd have no opposition whatsoever to the changes. Yeah. Incredible. You can also go into American... There's a book called uh, America's Cultural Cold War, how the America and the big foundations ran 
on behalf of the U.S. government, the, the Cold War cultural industry, and they still do up to the present, yeah. All right, last caller, Daniel in New Jersey. Go ahead, please, Daniel. You're on the air with Alan Watt. Good morning, friends. I'd like to suggest that the ultimate goal of the globalists and their leader, Satan, is to try and defeat Jesus Christ and his saints at the soon-to-be-happening battle at Armageddon. That's why no cost is too great, no evil too great, as they bring about the one-world government and try to maximize the world's military technology. And along the way, they want to do everything they can to uh, destroy Christianity and God's creation through their genetic modifications. Hmm. All right, your response, Alan? Well, um, it it is interesting that an old uh, pre-Lord Alfred Milner uh, depictions of their organization, uh, and I know what really was behind their organizations and the other organizations that formed into this one group that run the world today, They've always used uh, the, the old Tower of Babel drawings, uh, half-ruined, of course, uh, as a symbol for the unified power of a world to come. So so you might say there's there's definitely a hint of that there. There's no doubt whatsoever they have already, by the way, uh, vastly altered Christianity from what it used to be a hundred years ago to what it, it is today. And Christianity, unfortunately, is used as a battering ram uh, for American nationalism across the world. And we know that George Bush Jr. and the PNAC group, uh, behind them, of course, uh, decided to finance heavily the Christian associations across the U.S. They financed all the top leaders to propagandize the war, that it was a, God's, a godly war, etc. An old, old technique, of course, but it, it worked awfully well. So if you belong to any organization, uh, official organization, that is, mainstream, you're, you're going to be used, unfortunately, and I've been telling people that for years. Yeah, unfortunately. Let me, let me because we're at the end of the uh, interview here, Daniel, thank you very much for that, for that question. Where are we now? What can we do? Do you see anything at this point that people can do, or is this just knuckle under and get ready? It's, uh, you, you'll never get people unified to do anything together. There's been so many studies for hundreds of years on this very problem. Uh, so, what you have to, what, I mean, ultimately, it'd be so easy to do things if people were unified, obviously, like wishful thinking. You could all stop voting for one thing. You could stop buying gas for a week and not going to work. And so you, you get reaction and attention of the people who manage the world very quickly. But that will never happen. Uh, those who are better off will, will let those below them do all the strikes and so on or all the protests until it hits them personally. So the classes are used, again, to the extreme. All segments of society are are incredibly well manipulated and used. So uh, it's up to the individuals to to do things personally. To the individuals. I I wish we had more time to work on the solution into this because we really certainly need it. We'll have you back on again. Thank you so much, Alan Watt, for joining us in the Power Hour today. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Joyce. All right. You have a blessed day.